Welcome to Connecting the Community podcast. I am your host, Marge Andre. I will be connecting you to people, organizations, and events that create community. I am creating this podcast in Richmond Hill, an eclectic and very culturally diverse community with lots of trees and streams and interesting people just up the hill from Toronto. On this podcast, I'm welcoming friends, fellow Richmond Hillers, and the astronomers at the David Dunlop Observatory, Tuba Cocktoy and Ian Shelton. Welcome, Tuba and Ian. Hello, Marsh. Hi, Marsh. So glad that you, you can join me for this. Really looking forward to our conversation. I would like to start by asking you, can you tell us just a little bit about yourselves? <laughs> Of course, we can say that. We are both professional astronomers, Ian and I. We both worked at the DDO, short form of David Dunlop Observatory. Uh, during the 90s, we were doing our uh, PhD research. And I came from origin from Turkey. So that's how I ended up at the DDO, trying to do my PhD research using the David Dunlop Observatory 74-inch telescope. I worked with Professor Garrison. And in the meantime, Ian was doing his PhD there at the DDO. So we bumped into each other. And that, that things... Yeah. <laughs> and things conspired to... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so Ian, your background? Uh, I started born in Winnipeg. Um, got a job working in Chile through the University of Toronto, which came as a, you know, after my university undergraduate work at the University of Manitoba. Um, I guess four years, two years and then off and then two years back on in Chile and came back to do my graduate work because something great happened in Chile. So uh, that opened the doors that otherwise might have been more reluctant to be opened. So I did my uh, master's and PhD at the University of Toronto. Um, and then basically uh, everything else has sort of fallen after that. So I've worked at many other observatories since then. Uh, from the largest to some of the smallest telescopes in the world, simply because you know they're all useful. Mm-hmm. And I guess now I'm living in Richmond Hill with Tuba. That's right. We went to Hawaii and we moved other places too, back and forth. Yeah. Astronomy moves you around, so that's the <laughs> okay. Thing. I like that. Uh, and I think we should say you are husband and wife, so that's um, yes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. You can say I, that. Yes. I shouldn't yes. assume everyone's going to know that. So that's yes, right. I'm very glad. Uh, we had our daughter when we had our daughter. We were still doing our, you know, graduate work. Graduate work, mm-hmm. and one of the professors, Professor Moknaki, you know, his wife Kathy, uh, he gave his office to me so I can be quite to bring Victoria when she was little, uh, so that I can still continue my work. At the video, so we were like a family there. We're all the you know colleagues. We're like mm-hmm. it was a big giant family. Mm-hmm. We really missed them. We quite lost three, four of the fellows that we know. They're yeah. yeah. So, okay, that that's very very nice to hear. I am glad you are part of Richmond Hill. Mm-hmm. Okay, can you start off by talking about why why study astronomy both for yourselves and generally? Uh, astronomy is, I guess, everybody's science because everybody has access to the laboratory. You just have to look up. Um, darker places are better simply because light pollution is sort of the, the bane of, of doing astronomy. But astronomy itself is, is like all science, fundamental sciences, it has value. And so the bottom that gives us appreciation of the world around us, understanding of the world. But 
If we understand it well enough, we harness that. We turn that into technology, and technology makes our life better. And astronomy is uh, maybe a broader kind of brushstroke for sciences, but uh, in the end, it's all the same sort of thing. You have to sort of uh, know what the world is all about before you can actually harness that. So hopefully that's simple enough. Good answer. So, but what drew you to astronomy? Okay, so astronomy for us, I'm, so I'm a stellar astrophysicist. I study stars specifically. So stars um, using sort of the vernacular. So they, they're born, they grow up, then they age, and then they die. And so just like mm -hmm. humans, you sort of use the same sort of personification, although stars really don't do that, but you know that they have life cycles. And so the important thing here is that by studying individual stars, uh, I'm, I'm started off with some of the brightest stars in the sky because those got neglected because 150 years ago, we thought we knew everything. Uh, and of course, that's not true, but restudying them, you learn more. So for me, it was looking at uh, the characters of stars. So you only see the outside and they're long ways away, so you can't sort of play with them, but you can sort of study them as a population. And from that, you start to understand um, different traits of them, different parts of them. So spectroscopy, too, we'll talk about mm -hmm. uh, her, the way that she does her work. I was doing photometry by looking at the brightness in different mm -hmm. broad colors. Tuba uses the rainbow colors, breaking the stars into the rainbow yes. colors to understand them. Yes. yes. So when I came, I was, uh, like I mentioned, I was using the DDO's 74 uh, inch telescope, and it had this uh, instrument called spectrograph. Spectrograph does is mainly to break the, the light coming from the star in the rainbow colors. And at that point, we can learn a lot about the star. We can learn the chemistry of the star, how big is the star, how far is that star, and uh, also the temperature of the star by looking at its color. We can learn and uh, so there are actually giant stars and dwarf stars we call them and we can all identify by just looking at that light and that's the chemistry that the that laboratory is that rainbow so that like csi have. of the you know, yes. you know, csi of the astronomy world certainly by using spectroscopy <laughs> okay so obviously you found astronomy really fascinating and interesting so i will yeah. take that as a reason for why you're studying astronomy okay can you talk about the history of the david dunlap observatory and i i think you could talk for hours but just give us a brief yeah, synopsis of little, what it's all about give a little synopsis the first thing is that important thing uh did he open in the early 1930s uh, started like early 1930s and um, we have to mention uh, three people here. Didio owes his existence to three people. First one is the Professor Chant, we call the father of the astronomy. He was the only astronomer at the uh, University of Toronto. He was giving all the astronomy co courses, including undergrad and grad courses during 1920s. And he always wanted an observatory for his students in Canadian soil, so they don't have to go to US to continue their research. Uh, so he was also giving a lot of presentations. He liked his public presentations. In one of these talks, David Dunlop was existed, and he he David Dunlop is a, a lawyer working with uh, mining business with Tim and Brothers, and Tim and Brothers actually Ian can talk about yeah. that too. Yeah. Yeah. So yes. Tim and Brothers, if you don't know, they yeah. Timmins, Ontario is named in honor of them, yeah. uh, and it's uh, they're the beginning of the industrial mining industry in Canada. So the whole uh, doing large-scale mining instead of little holdings uh, is due to them. Uh, so they, they started out with a very productive silver mine, one of the most productive in the world, and they refine, use that money to refinance the most productive gold mine in the world, the Hollinger Mine, mm -hmm. uh, which is, became Hollinger Industries. And then, of course, Conrad Black becomes sort of behind that. So somebody pro probably, if you're in Canada, like the time you might know about these people. 
but ultimately, the Timmons brothers need a lawyer to get them started and help take care of all the, the legal transactions and so on. And David Dunlop was a young lawyer in the same city where they were growing up. Timmons brothers were shopkeepers, you know, grocery store shopkeepers, outfitters uh, uh, outside of Ottawa, basically. So you know, on the uh, North North Bay sort of area of, Can of Canada. So, anyways, so they have very humble beginnings, but very, very quickly they became very wealthy. And uh, David Dunlap was a very wealthy philanthropist as well as a lawyer. So uh, put a lot of money into uh, things like um, animal husbandry and taking care of livestock. And so he was worried about you know, bigger conditions. And so therefore he was open-minded to all sorts of things, including astronomy. So, so that's where sort of the beginnings are. And then of course, mm -hmm. uh, he was hearing this talk to Tubo's talking about. He was an avid astronomer too. He liked night sky. But, yeah. You know, yeah. So, so the, the presentation that Chapman was giving was on a comet that was visible in the nighttime sky, you know, with naked eye, no telescopes needed. And, um, and one of the people in the audience hearing his talk was David Dunlap. And so David Dunlap presented himself, says, you know, I'm uh, a lawyer and I can probably help you because I know a lot of wealthy people as well and we can do fundraising. And that would have been perfect, except that David Dunlap passed away just a few years after that without uh, anything finally being finalized in terms of uh, financial uh, rewards from the, from the association. But then uh, a couple of years later, uh, David, uh, Dr. Chant went to visit Jesse, you know, uh, David Dunlap's widow and said, you know, you know the same people that David did, maybe you could carry on. And by the time they were finished having tea time on that uh, winter afternoon, uh, she said, you know, just give me a figure. And, and in the end, they decided that she would finance the whole thing. And this is incredible. Instead of fundraising and so on, just, just give me a figure and we'll do it. And in fact, by the time they were done, they built the second largest telescope in the whole world. Mm -hmm. And it was a gift. They, she gave a gift to the University of Toronto to do spectacular things, and they did. So. So it's the, the observatory has a very beautiful beginning, beautiful middle part. Um, you know, I guess most most people in Richmond Hill probably don't know about the observatory, and that's yeah. it's the best kept secret. Yes. And that's largely because the University of Toronto for policing is you know 200 acres in the end. They also that's Jesse provided 200 acres of land um, as a buffer uh, around the, the burgeoning. Uh, it was a, um, a hamlet initially, and then it became a, a town eventually, and then streetlights started to exist and so in the end it was basically a buffer to kind of protect it but ultimately the um, you know jesse's gift was well used and i guess maybe i can just mention the three most important things that the observatory is built on this gifting they never owned university never owned it until recent times mm -hmm. uh, but they needed to follow through with the, with the wishes of jesse and that was because it's a memorial to her husband so um you have to do cutting edge science and so uh, you might not know about the observatory, but I'm sure everybody's heard about black holes. And black holes were in fact confirmed, their existence was proven with this 74-inch telescope at the David Dunlap Observatory. So, so it has a very, very noble, you know, um, very good track record for doing cutting-edge science. So yes, the second indeed, thing... The it's the 50th anniversary this oh, that's year, right? right? Yeah. yeah. So uh, if, Professor if, Tom Bolton, yeah. uh, using the 74-inch telescope, this is the 50th anniversary of that landmark paper that he published in 1972. Yeah. So. It's one of these you know, best kept secrets, but you know, Canadians don't understand that. And the rest of the world would like to say, you know, somebody else did it because, you know, uh, whoever bumps, bangs the drum loudest sort of gets the accolades, I guess. But but we should yeah. certainly be proud. Yeah, it is. It's, it is amazing. I've talked to a lot of people in Richmond Hill and they thought, oh, yeah, it worked somewhere around here. I should go visit that observatory. And even if you're not an astronomer, and I will admit, I'm a bit intimidated by a lot of the science and everything else, but 
Every time I go to the observatory, I am so glad I'm there. It's a beautiful piece of property, beautiful historic building, and just thinking about what the observatory, that telescope has done, uh, is like absolutely amazing. So, yeah. So, but things have changed, and the property now, it's you, there's only about half of it there. There are lots of buildings, lots of homes built around there. So light pollution is an issue. Can you talk a little bit about light pollution? Yeah, we can talk about the light pollution for sure. Uh, there are houses built around it. I'm sure it's bothering you, but there is a light pollution by law in Richmond Hill, passed by the works with Tom Bolton in uh, about 95, I believe, right? Yeah, so right so, yeah. about Yes. There's, there, there's a story about Tom, right? Yes, you, you yeah. want to talk about Tom? Yeah, sure. Story? Yes. Uh, just, you know, Tom Bolton, along with it, he, he was a newly minted PhD graduate when he arrived at the uh, University of Toronto. So he came, uh, he was just finishing his, his PhD dissertation and, and showed up at the U of T, you know, at, at, to work sort of at the observatory, but so very soft position, but he had lots of work to do. So, and he wasn't a spectroscopist from the beginning. So, so he was a theoretician, you know, built stars on in computers and didn't actually observe them. Um, so when he actually started to work at the observatory, he was really, you know, he embraced it you know, wholeheartedly. And so he became the the uh, the mentor of, of all people doing spectroscopy at the observatory. He actually improved the instrumentation, but then of course he needs to have a good dark sky. And so he took it on as a challenge to actually maintain the observatory in all of its glory uh, by making sure that outdoor lighting was kept at a minimum. And so every single council meeting, he would actually show up at the council meeting whenever they were talking about outdoor lighting, and he would no, he wouldn't actually talk to council. He'd go through council to talk to the builder and the people that the builder had hired to build their parking lot or whatever they're building outside. And by talking to the developer, he says, you know, do you know that you're wasting your client's money by having light half of it just going up into space? This is silly, you know? So, so by the time they were done, you know, they, they all came to a mutual agreement, you know, whether they wanted to or not. But ultimately, by cutting down the amount of light that's going, being wasted, basically, um, you save money, you save, you know, it's more efficient, but also it also um, does a better job with a glare on the ground and so on. So Tom actually did a very good job to, from, from a society point of view, you know, it helps, you know, without waste and without, uh, you know, we're worrying about global change and everything else right now. Well, this is part of that story. But more importantly, of course, for him is that the observatory benefits as well, because now we have a dark sky, which actually benefits everybody because we can actually see the nighttime sky from Richmond Hill. Mm -hmm. So, but coming to every single council meeting, well, by 1995, the city said, you know, Tom, let's, let's work on this. In 1995, they finally, uh, with his help, drafted a bylaw. They, they ratified it. It was signed into existence, the bylaw in 1995. And they said, Tom, please don't come to any more council meetings. <laughs> yeah, so it's a very nice story. Convince them nicely. Yeah. And, yeah. and that, that, that is the template. That is a beautiful, many, many municipalities. It's the first municipal bylaw for, to, yes. uh, to deal with light pollution. So it's become a template for many other places in the world. Mm -hmm. Ooh, interesting. So this bylaw is still in existence, correct? It is indeed. It is. Uh, yes. It used to be that the city would pass on any, any uh, site plans or proposals that in, involved outdoor lighting to the Richmond Hill, to the observatory, basically. Mm -hmm. And then they would bet on that, decide if there was a way to improve it or to get around the issues by suggesting light fixtures or light bulbs or mm -hmm. things that, that would be specifically beneficial to everybody. And then the city would, you know, put it back to the developer and say, you know, change the lighting to this and we'll be all happy. Um, now it's the city is the police and the judge. So, so it goes to them because they're the owners of the observatory. 
I don't think there's been very many test cases, but then that's part of our mandate as, you know, we came into existence as the defenders of the, mm -hmm. of the property, uh, DDO defenders. We amalgamated when this, the University of Toronto sold the property in, in uh, about 12 years ago. And, and so now it's 15 years ago, time is sort of flying by. Um, yeah. um, and so in the end, so far, we have very many challenges, like the property itself, there's half the property has got housing on it. Uh, there are there's a rider on those properties, at least they're supposed to be. Mm -hmm. During the OMB, we agreed that mm -hmm. uh, anybody having a house or building a house on that property would have uh, zero cutoff lighting on it so that it would not hurt the observatory directly. Uh, but we're, we're fishing for much bigger um, you know, results. We want the whole city to re-ratify their bylaw, maybe even go deeper. So people, because it only applies to municipal, you know, um, the cities, uh, control over parking lots, private, you know, parking mm -hmm. lots and so on. If it's your front porch, uh, there's no, the bylaw doesn't cover that and mm -hmm. outdoor LED lighting is an issue, but also streetlights. That's, that's um, you know, beyond the city's jurisdiction. And so therefore it's not covered by the bylaw. So there's ways that we can sort of improve this to make it much darker in general. And when we say darker, we don't mean, you know, scary, that we're gonna get mugged or have crime. As a matter of fact, if the, if the norm is dark, then please, you know, um, people trying to break into your home with a flashlight, they, they stand out because then mm -hmm. you see a light that shouldn't be there. Yeah. So in some respects, it's actually better to have it a, a darker norm for the most part. And also you know, for melatonin levels and, you know, getting sleep, uh, you know, it's also a health issue that uh, light pollution we call it light trespass, you know, light from one person's house coming into your bedroom window is a problem. And of course, the bylaw doesn't cover that. So mm -hmm. we have lots of work ahead of us, um, along with preserving the heritage and the legacy of the observatory. Uh, we're after a bigger picture that Tom Bolton set in motion, and that's sort of preserving the nighttime sky for everybody. Mm -hmm. Woo, lots to think about there. That really is quite interesting. And the ramifications are much beyond but what I, I think most people actually think of it. Can you tell us about what's happening at the DDO now? What currently is happening? Well, currently, uh, DDO is owned by the city of Richmond Hill since 2018. And uh, DDO Defenders Us, we're partnered with uh, city, uh, running astronomy programs along with another organization. And uh, during COVID, we went virtual, but it went still pretty well, and we're back to normal since last spring, even even almost yeah more Over than six year. months. Yeah. And we already done quite a lot of programs, or fifty programs we've done, so last six months, and uh, we we continue doing so. So so I mean that was part of the the mandate of the observatory mm -hmm. that Jesse put in place. We talked about the science end of it. But she also, the third thing was important was giving it back to the public. So we, so us lofty astronomers, um, we have to explain what the good stuff that we're doing at the observatory okay. in ways that the public can understand. And that's actually, you know, it's not just us. This legacy goes back to 1935. Every single summer since 1935, except for possibly one during World War II, the observatory was open on Saturday nights to the public to show up. And actually, we took off, you know, the spectrograph or the, the light going from the spectrograph, we put it into an eyepiece. And the public gets to look through the largest telescope still on Canadian soil. It is still the largest telescope in Canada. Mm -hmm. So th this is sort of, uh, and of course, there's a talk and there's a presentation. And the astronomer that's losing telescope time, you know, again, half the uh, telescope time goes to people not in Canada. They're going to the United States and, and Europe. So they've come a long ways to, you know, to see the sky. And if it's cloudy, of course, they don't get anything. But to lose, you know, for public outreach, suddenly somebody else is using your telescope during your telescope time. And it was your telescope time you would lose. We didn't tell them that they were going to lose it, but that's just part of the operation. Actually, they showed up. Uh, they would be in the dome. They'd be talking to the public directly. 
And so we've just sort of beefed that up since U of T is gone. We, we have more control over the outreach programs and we've escalated. It's about three times richer than what, when the U of T was there. Yeah, we, we follow the same routine. And uh, I mean, we've been doing this like over 20 years right now. Yeah, so I think we can just close eyes and do it kind of. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So the public is yeah. this is this yeah. is a clearinghouse for as very approachable. Don't don't be shy. Show up. Yes, please. Um, where there's no stigma attached. If you know nothing, well, you'll come away smarter when you leave. Uh, if you have, there's no dumb questions. Everything is, is a valid question, and if you don't know it, hopefully we can answer it. And our organization loves to have volunteers. We're all volunteers. We're a good team, and we accept you know. Public input. Public yeah. input. Yeah. We love that. And the high school students always come. We give volunteer hours. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, yeah. So there are both things for uh, people very interested in science with a strong science background, like Richmond Hill and the surrounding areas of a lot of really well-educated people. I believe it's very good for them, but mm -hmm. I know you have programs like for the scouts and the girl guides. Schools go there as well. So I think you're, you are... Uh, getting the new people, the young people involved, but you're also enriching the those who already have a strong science base so they can just be in awe of what's out there. For sure, for sure, yeah. for sure. We're, we're trying our best at least to do that and yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot. A lot yeah. is happening there. I have heard a criticism that there's not enough programs. You book up too quickly and such. But uh, no, they yeah, work us to the, uh, actually, I, the ground. They work <laughs> us to the ground. We have to, you know, stop uh, them getting more reservations. Is because we were, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah no. Yes. <laughs> Maybe we, we didn't say it at the beginning, but just to be clear, I mean, we're a volunteer group where we're, the money that, that we, you know, that comes in from these programs goes directly back into hardware and, and, yes. and making these programs happen. So, yep. so uh, you don't have to worry about where the money's going, you can see exactly where it's going, which is yeah. nice. Yeah, no, very good. No, I, I think uh, I would like to see it become even more uh, involved, more people being there. I just think it's good for the community to happen. But yeah, I, I enjoy going there uh, just because it's a beautiful site. Like I've gone there for, you know, take, got some, take a picnic and go for, just sit there. And it's like, this is a nice spot. Like during the middle of COVID where you couldn't go anywhere. You know, I drove 10 minutes and I felt like I went somewhere. So that was a, I encourage people that just undergone new renovations, a new paint, and it looks magnificent and it's absolutely gorgeous. And there has been a lot of movie shoots there or filming as well um, anything notable that we should take uh, know about well uh, there are a few uh, movie shoots the uh, there's umbrella academy i think is the one that is more you know prominent that uh, did three seasons i believe so and there are other ones coming up uh, I don't know exactly the names, but we're, we're, we're not at liberty to say. Uh, no, okay. <laughs> so it's just <laughs> there are more coming. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah, I've heard. I think I've seen images of like car dealerships using the background. Like it just feels good to be in front of us yeah. observatory. So and a lot of wedding proposals have gone on there. So so we <laughs> okay. <laughs> I like that. So yeah, it's a. I think it'd be a great place for a wedding. So uh, that is excellent. Okay, um, yeah, as I've been saying, I think Richmond Hill should be very proud of the DDO. Can you talk about what the future plans are? It's, you know, what, what's, what's, out, what's out there? Well, there was a master plan for 
15 to 20 years and we pass all the four or five well, years of it officially and a 10 year master plan and we're yeah. basically done with that but not everything's materialized yet not yet uh, but you're talking about the grounds now there's walking trails all there through is. the property now there's benches all the way through the property uh, and the and the trail is actually maintained so it's it's becoming very very quickly a, a you know trying to materialize the the easy accessible pleasant aspects of it but the, the more expensive parts, like for example, the planetarium or an extension to, you know, for uh, reception halls and so on, it isn't uh, easily accessible for those that are handicapped, for example. So that's something we have to address. And it's not cheap because the building was built when there was no such codes. Yes. So retrofitting a beautiful building without destroying that beautiful building is, is difficult, but nonetheless, do come to at least enjoy the outside and, and you can at least get a ground level inside. Mm -hmm. uh, and we'll make, make it sort of accessible as best as we can until we get these actual, you know, these extra improvements in place. So right. there's, okay. there's lots in the works. Um, you know, the Elvis Stoico is now contingent all the way from 16th Avenue. You can come all the way up to the observatory uh, walking so that mm. the, the fence that used to block the property from the other half oh, that's open, right? uh, so is now open. Walk. You can walk yes. straight through. That's part of the trail system now. Mm -hmm. um, it's just there's lots of things in progress. But if you like more, then obviously now we just have elections. So find out who you're, you're uh, councillor is, you know, this is under uh, Ward 6, if you're in Richmond Hill, uh, let them know what, what you like or don't like about it and, and let's mobilize on Be vocal this. about it, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. definitely. Okay, I have my ideas, so I will uh, put them forth. I really would like to see it be a place for uh, continual learning, adult learning, uh, just that's what I'm into, so uh, let's hope I get my wish. Okay, we're going to end this podcast with the your response to the question from both of you name one thing you really like about this community uh, we love richmond hill because we met here we love video is here that's why we ended up here but we love this community it's a family oriented environmentally friendly uh, very nice people living here we love this community that's why we are here uh, we hope to have more people around richmond hill like us and otherwise, you know, yeah. it's, a, it's a quiet oasis in, in a lot of respects. It's mm -hmm. not too far away from downtown. You know, commute is always an issue. The subway line will eventually come, so that might help. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's just a matter of that. It's a livable community. It, there's a lot of amenities immediately available. Uh, the people are very friendly. Once you finally go to actually ask somebody for something or talk to people, you find out that they're, it's a very friendly, like Tuba said, a family oriented kind of community. And, uh, and people are um, there's, there's enough variety and there's a huge amount of variety actually in Richmond Hill that in the end when you're talking to people you every, every time I talk to somebody no matter what my prejudices are I learn something new and yes, I come away smarter yes. and, and more appreciative of the people that are around me yeah multinationality really helps I love living like that with, with different <laughs> people yeah. yeah learn from others that what they do but what we yeah. do so that's yes uh, I will echo that. There are a lot of interesting people, a diverse, interesting people here. So it's, yeah, I, it's a great place to live. Yeah. Okay. Are uh, you going to provide me with some information about the DDO? Mm -hmm. I really Indeed. hope that sure. Uh, sure, this podcast that. will get people motivated to come and visit and uh, be engaged. So again, thank you, Ian and Chuba, for taking this time to do this podcast. You're, You're welcome. welcome. Thank you for giving us the opportunity. See you again. Thank you for listening. I would very much appreciate you sharing this podcast. Please tune in next week as we continue to explore the community. Consider emailing me at marj, M-A-R-J, 
at margeandre.com. I welcome suggestions for podcast guests. Stay well, stay connected.